When I was in seventh grade, my friends and I were super pumped because there was a school assembly, which basically meant the rest of the class periods throughout the day were shortened and no teacher was gonna have enough time to assign homework. So we all went to the auditorium, the whole school all together packed in there, and they had some kind of guest speaker guy that was supposed to be really motivational, and also he was a hypnotist. And so what he did was he brought up about eight or 10 teachers and the principal and vice principal of our middle school, and he lined them up in chairs on the stage. And then he said some motivational stuff, and then he hypnotized some people and said more, more motivational stuff. And it's been probably 25 years since that day or more, and it's just burned into my memory. Mr. Cowenberg, our principal, was hypnotized and told to act as a barn animal. And so he and the assistant principal, Mr. Marino, are on the stage in front of the entire school going insane. Mr. Cowenberg is flapping his arms and hopping on one foot and pecking like a chicken while Mr. Marino is on his knees mooing like a cow. It was one of those moments that I'm like, I cannot believe my life is so awesome right now. It was totally humiliating for them and all my friends were like, best assembly ever. Well, one of the teachers they selected to hypnotize was Mrs. Harris and she was the coolest teacher at Franklin Middle School. And the reason was she was the kind of teacher that you could tell cared. She cared about you, she had time to listen to you, she was very reasonable when you had a problem, when you struggled with your homework, she would help you. She was a cool teacher, and so that's why they put her up on the platform for this event. Well, during the barn animal scene, Mrs. Harris was ridiculous. She was some type of bird, and she was flapping her wings, running across the chairs and jumping off of them, truly acting like she thought there was a reasonable chance she could fly. My friends and I were just dying with laughter, and we were like, this is so great. Then toward the end, like the pinnacle of the motivational speaker's thing was he was going to hypnotize the person that was most engaged in the previous rounds of hypnotism, I guess. And so he picked Mrs. Harris. And my friends and I, like the whole crowd, we just went wild because we were like, this is going to be great. And so he says, okay, he put her outside the room with an assistant of some kind, and then he said to the auditorium, he's like, I am going to tell Mrs. Harris that the building is on fire after I hypnotize her. She's gonna go nuts. She's gonna go so crazy trying to clear the auditorium, and you guys should not move. Just sit here and laugh at her craziness. And it'll amp her up even more, and it'll get more and more ridiculous, and she becomes more and more desperate. It's gonna be great. And I leaned over to my friend, I'm like, is this a good idea? Isn't it illegal to like yell fire in a building? But I was like, whatever, I'm not in charge. So they hypnotize Mrs. Harris, and then they tell her, the hypnotist tells her, the building is on fire. You're the only adult in the entire room with all of these students, and you've got to clear the building before everyone is endangered. And so Mrs. Harris, we think, is now about to just go ballistic, yelling, screaming, pointing towards exits. And, and all she did was make one half-hearted, vague attempt toward the back of the auditorium and say, fire. And then she jumped off the stage and ran out of the room without us. Awkward. We were all sitting there 
the, the motivational speaker had no plan for what to do if the teacher didn't care. And it just ended, like basically like that. And we were all walking back to class down the hallways and we were pretty much hating on Mrs. Harris. We, we were like, I thought she was cool. I thought she cared about us. How could she leave us in some type of crisis? Like she fought authentically through the art of hypnotism. She thought we were all going to die and she didn't, she just saved herself. And we bashed on her pretty hard. And I'll tell you the truth, Mrs. Harris did not come back after Christmas break. She was done teaching. I don't know if she went to another middle school or if she quit, but we never saw her again. Because I think she realized like she burned trust through this stupid school assembly. And when you realize someone doesn't care, you don't care what they have to say. And so you're here tonight because someone did care. Someone cared enough to invite you to 4640, to invite you back after a long absence, to bring you, to get you a ride, to, to somehow get you here to this moment. Because whoever it was that invited you, your friend, your parent, your grandparents, whomever it was, they did care. They cared that, that something urgent was happening all around you, but they weren't exactly sure how to tell you. So that's why they brought you here tonight or brought you back here tonight so that you could hear this super critical truth. And it really can best be summed up with a story that Jesus told in Luke chapter 15. And Jesus is talking to a group of people that has a whole lot of misconceptions about God, a whole lot of ideas. They think God's angry, that God's strict, that God's mean, that God's really into religion and rule following. And he's talking to this group of people and he's trying to tell them how God really is because Jesus is God's son and so he knows better than everyone around him. And so Jesus is trying to explain it. So he creates a story that sort of symbolizes some stuff. And the story is about a dad with two sons. And the dad in the story symbolizes God and the two sons symbolizes a spectrum of people. So the oldest son, he's the suck up the brown noser, the boy scout with the Eagle Scout Award by age seven. He, he does everything right, everything perfect, 4.0, like never messes up. He's got his ducks in a row on the outside. But on the inside, he's angry and kind of bitter and a little bit crabby and just his heart's not right. And then there's the other son who's like the black sheep of the family, like the total screw up, the party animal, the one who never gets it right, who's flunking out, getting suspended. I mean, just the kid who's totally out of control. And then there's the dad, and he's rich and wealthy, has everything he needs, large amounts of land and animals, tons of hired servants. But the dad doesn't care about that. He cares about relationship with his sons. But as much as the dad wants to connect with his sons, the sons, for different reasons, each want little to do with their dad. The youngest son, at some point, decides that he's going to do an action that in ancient culture, when Jesus was teaching this story, is basically the equivalent of a permanent middle finger to his dad. The youngest son comes to his dad and he says, give me everything that's mine, like what I'm going to inherit. It's a way of saying, you're as good as dead to me, dad. You might as well just give me what you're going to owe me someday and peace out. I want nothing to do with you. Just a giant, permanent 
I don't want you in my life. Well, the dad, he has a choice. He could basically say, heck no, not going to do it. There's no way. In fact, I disinherit you. I'm going to give you nothing. But he says, all right. And he takes everything he owns. He divides out that youngest son's portion, which would have required like in our day, major refinancing, a second mortgage on the home, selling part of the possessions, all kinds of stuff. But somehow the dad takes a chunk of his estate and gives it to his son in gold. And the son says, see ya, wouldn't want to be you, and leaves. Completely rejects his relationship with his dad and takes off. And Jesus tells in the story that the guy like goes off and he just blows his money on ridiculous, extravagant partying and totally immoral, crazy behavior. He just blows every penny he has to the point that the youngest son is poor, broke, alone, rejected, starving, begging on the corner for just like scraps of the scraps of the homeless people's leftovers. I mean, he has nothing and when this whole story starts to go down, Jesus' original audience, they would have scratched their heads. They would have said, yep, serves him right. That dad is never going to want to have anything to do with that youngest son. The original audience who heard that story would have been like, that youngest son is crazy, serves him right. That dad should just turn around, put his arm around his perfect older boy, and walk off into the sunset having nothing to do with that son again, the youngest son. So Jesus blew their minds when he describes the father in this story as the kind of guy that instead of turning with his older son and excluding, finds himself digging out binoculars and running to the edge of his property every day and looking out onto the horizon to see if by some chance, for some reason, his youngest son would Choose to return somehow. And then Jesus said, by sh a shocking turn of events, the younger son goes home. Not for the desire to have a relationship with his dad, but basically to get more stuff. So the youngest son prepares like this inauthentic speech that says like, I'm really sorry, I'm not worthy to be called your son anymore, but just give me some food and a bed and, and I'll be like a servant to you. Again, the youngest son still does not want relationship with his father. But the father ignores his prepared speech. And, the, and Jesus said that while the young son was still a far way off, that somehow the dad, straining his eyes, saw the youngest son and ran to him. Which, again, in Jesus' original culture that he was telling this story, the act of a grown man running was so undignified. It was like extravagant. Only poor men ran. No one jogged. No one ran Ironmans for fun. And, and when you did run, it, it was like a sign of disgrace. But, but here, the father, who is wealthy, picks up his robes and runs to meet his son while he's a long way off. The son that basically said, I want nothing to do with you, Dad. And he runs to greet him. And while the youngest son is pouring out that speech of like, I screwed up and hire me on as your servant and give me a place to sleep, the, the father shushes him, embraces him, and leads that son home with his arm around the shoulder. And when he gets there, 
he finds his other son, right? And he says to the servants, like, we're having a party. Kill the cows, make some steaks, get some good food going, invite everyone, giant, huge party. My son was lost, but now he's found. And then the oldest son gets pissed. He feels slighted. He's like, dad, you suck. You spoil my brother. I hate you. And he won't even come into the party. And sometimes people talk about this story that Jesus created called a parable. And they say, are you the oldest son or are you the youngest son? But as I was praying about tonight, I heard the Holy Spirit just kind of explain everybody's somewhere. On one extreme is the youngest son. On one extreme is the oldest son. And everybody's somewhere in between. Maybe a little more to this side or a little more to that side. Maybe in the middle. But there's parts of this story. And so what Jesus did when he told the story originally is he said, no matter where you are, whether you got it all looking good on the outside, but on the inside you're a mess, or if on the outside you're just as big of a mess as on the inside, it doesn't matter. Either way, the Father represents God wants you, wants your heart, wants relationship with you. He doesn't want to have a hired servant. He doesn't want to have a slave. He doesn't want to owe you. He wants connection with you. And the reason someone invited you here tonight is they want to make sure that you know that you have a heavenly father in God that authentically and deeply desires a relationship, a friendship with you. And that's why Jesus said his whole mission in life could be summed up in, in this one sentence. I have come to seek and save the lost. Who's lost in Jesus' story? The youngest son off partying? The oldest son who never left but his heart was far from his father? Both. And everyone in between. And that was Jesus' whole mission, to help us understand that because of our actions, no matter where we are on the spectrum of gotten it figured out, no matter where we are on that spectrum, that our mistakes are creating distance between us and our Heavenly Father. And Jesus said, no matter how big that distance is, I came to bridge it. I came to seek and save, to search and find everyone, wherever they are on that spectrum, to restore not to outward right behaviors, where it'd be like the older son, but to store to actual friendship with the Father, God, through the person of Jesus Christ. Guys, this is about so much more than religion. It's about each one of us individually having a relationship with a God who's madly, crazily, intensely, deeply, passionately in love with each one of us. And so... In a couple minutes, we're going to get into our big trick-or-treat giveaway and all the insanity that goes with that. But before we do, would each of you just bow your head, close your eyes? What we want to do is just create a moment of quiet introspection so you can look into your own heart. You can evaluate inside yourself. Do you feel like you are in an intimate 
friendship with your Father God? Do you feel like between you and Jesus that, he, that he's come to seek and save you and you've responded to that and you're connected to that? That's a question that only each individual person knows their answer to. If you recognize that you for sure have that going on in your life, you have that connection with God, with no one looking around, would you slip up a hand? You know you're connected with God through the person of Jesus. That's awesome, guys. That's the most important thing in your life. At the same time, there were a lot of you that were unable to raise a hand. You acknowledged within yourself that, that you're somewhere on that spectrum between oldest son and youngest son, somewhere between the inner mess and the outer mess, but you recognize there's not relationship between you and God the Father. If you realize that's where you're at tonight and you want to do something about it, you want to choose to be in relationship with God through Jesus, by turning your back on both the inner sins, the inner mistakes, and the outer mistakes, and allowing Jesus to be the boss, the leader, the Lord of your life. If you're in that place tonight and you'd like us to pray with you as 4640 pastors, we invite you with no one looking to lift up your hands for a prayer. It's awesome, guys. Let's pray this prayer together. For the sake of those who raise their hand, everyone praying out loud, dear Jesus, I recognize I need you. Forgive me for the mistakes in my life. I choose to make you the Lord and leader of my life from this moment forward. In Jesus' name, amen. Now guys, those of you who raised your hand and, and prayed that prayer, that's the most important decision that you could ever make. And the reason someone brought you here tonight is they care about you. They care about your spiritual health and you growing in that faith and relationship. So please talk with the person who brought you, the person who gave you the ride, one of the blue shirts in 4640, that's our leadership team, or any one of the pastors here. We'd love to talk to you about how you can grow in your faith more and more every week moving forward. And we also wanna let you know that although tonight is a special event, we also do this every Tuesday night for high school students. And so we want you to be welcome to come back on a regular basis. Some of you we see only when we do something cool. Knock it off, come in between, please. Uh, we'd love to have you grow week in, week out in your faith with God, but also in your ability to connect with one another. One of the biggest strengths about 4640 isn't our sports court or our spider jump. One of the biggest, most important things is our connectedness as a 4640 family. And so you might be coming for a few weeks or even months and not feel that connectedness yet. And we'd love to ask you to look for a blue shirt, ask for a small group, ask how you can get connected so you start to feel close to the family aspect of who 4640 is together. Thanks for listening to the 4640 Student Center Podcast. For more information on what's happening in 4640, you can check us out on social media and at our website, 4640gj.com. Service times are Tuesday and Wednesday nights. Hope to see you there.